everyone. This is my episode on Plan, Grow, Prosper, a podcast by Evergreen Wealth Solutions. In this episode, I'm being interviewed by Ed Barone. Ed Barone is also involved with EG Exits, a firm that helps baby boomer business owners plan to sell and retire. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And if you find value in it, as always, please leave a review, share it with a friend. I don't run ads. That's how the show grows. I want to keep doing this forever. So with your help, I can do that. Enjoy the show. Hey, this is Ed Barone, Certified Business Exiting Consultant with Evergreen Exits. We're exiting. Exits aren't endings. You're just getting started. Today, I'm looking forward to our guest, uh, Ross Stockdale with Thunderstock Marketing. He's a fractional chief marketing officer. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Ross. Uh, I've been looking forward to it since we met a couple months ago, I believe. We met online through LinkedIn. And, you know, it just comes into play because I'm as I go through the exit planning process with clients, one of the steps is getting the business ready. Getting the business ready usually means we may need to grow the value of the business. And that's where marketing comes in, and it's a key component of getting the business ready, right? We got one way to get more profit, more revenue. The other one is to squeeze expenses, but more revenue. I always said more revenue covers a lot of sins underneath the hood, right? <laughs> so talk to, uh, talk to the audience about you know your role as a chief marketing officer. And absolutely, thank thanks so much, Ed, for for having me on the podcast. It's truly an honor. Um, I have a very unique perspective and background being a, a chief marketing officer. Um, started doing digital marketing ten years ago. Was a freelance SEO guy doing work for free to prove that I could rank websites and and really to help my own family small business, a friend's family small business, and really saw the. Uh, huge financial implications of getting targeted keywords ranked higher in Google. Mm -hmm. That gave me a marketable skill because it turns out getting a philosophy English literature degree, businesses don't bust your door down to hire you. So, But they do if you can drive organic SEO uh, Google traffic. Got into uh, – I won't go into the whole resume, but just started working my way up through both the brand side and then later the agency side – Leveraging that initial SEO and learning all of the digital marketing as, uh, aspects and got into <clears throat> servicing clients and working next to business owners and seeing how much of their budget was towards digital marketing and how some small business owners either could afford to get a new sports car and take their family and their whole business on mm -hmm. these all-inclusive vacations with if, if we did a good job as our marketing partner or they would have to close their doors down. They wouldn't be able to stay in business if we didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. So I really got that firsthand experience working next to business owners. And, and I would have to, you know, with the marketing agency, uh, have to go out and sell it as a service. Mm -hmm. I had to help create what the service was for some marketing agencies. Always continually learning and, and learning what was going on with Google and other you know, with Meta and their changes. And one of the things that I learned was um, that marketing as an industry doesn't really change much, just the channels, the channels do, right? The delivery channels. The delivery channels do. And uh, 
you know, people that get people get paid. So if you understand people to a certain degree, you know, you get paid. And I am lucky enough to be a third generation, I would say, salesperson. My father and grandfather had owned a commercial real estate brokerage. So growing up, I would get to ride shotgun on the way to talking to business owners about their one of their other largest assets was their um, real estate. Absolutely. So that's a bit of my, my background. And uh, in, tw- in 2019, I made the jump from being a, an employee in, in different business aspects doing marketing to being an owner. Um, started a private equity firm with, a, with oh. a friend of mine from college. He was the CFO, the backroom guy. I was the CMO, the front end guy. We had zero funding. We had zero budget. It was literally all just sweat equity. And I put all my savings in from my W-2 and my retirement, cashed mm-hmm. it all out to, to invest in the business. And March 13th, <clears throat> I actually got my real estate sales license to work with the family business in 2019. Smart. You know, it's like entrepreneurs. Number one rule is work with what you got, right? So for mm-hmm. me, it was the family business. And uh, March 13th was my father's birthday. It was his – I don't want to give his age away, but it was his birthday. <laughs> And at that day, we had 218 units under contract. It was our wow. first real estate deal. And I had, at that point, 10 customers with a buyer agency uh, agreement to work with them. And I had a marketing consulting gig, not the one I'm doing now. And I had 10 customers right now paying. So as a self-employed person, the first, uh, that would have been six months into it, mm-hmm. life was looking pretty good, like living the American dream or so mm-hmm. I thought come back in the office Monday to an email. Hey, COVID happened. Everything's closed. Real estate's over. So all the money that I had in the pipeline and all the business I created flatlined. Uh, yeah. Lo- lost. Just like stopped. I had to take a thousand dollar loan from my mom, like to pay off, like to help me with bills. Cause I just went all in on investing, just mm-hmm. super aggressive. And that's, you know, one of the faults of being a top line focused guy is when you think business is going to close and a black swan event happens and it doesn't. You need to tap into, (laughs) you know, uh, whatever you can. So I really, at that time, being a managing partner of a PE firm, it was like, all right, let's pivot. We're not doing real estate investing. We're doing PE. We're we're focusing on business, Mm -hmm. trying to help small business owners that are struggling during this crazy cataclysmic time. So that's my background. Um, And and when you think about that, I mean, talk about, you know, things just falling into place. So from your, your role as a chief marketing officer. How many businesses had to pivot and rethink how they were marketing to and how they were going to get product and services to people during COVID? I'll tell you. I mean, if the answer is not all of them, it's all of them were affected in some way, yes. some more than others. Some were already positioned to be there. Some were. Just had to tap in. A lot were not. Some were. And, and even ones that were really positioned to be in there, if they were importing goods from overseas, I mean, the supply chain. Oh, yeah. Soup. It affected, uh, you know, inventory on hand. If if there was oh, a pra- yeah. packaged good in, oh, yeah. uh, business, which was actually the the first business we acquired, right? So we had the private equity firm in 2019 created, and we started it, but we didn't close our first deal until June of 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a an importer uh, mm-hmm. in the in the pet industry mm-hmm. imported 90 percent of the goods from overseas. Um, so that, that business actually was saved by COVID because mm-hmm. the payroll protection program, um, that loan that the government gave and that kind of uh, clemency, like banks were not yeah. allowed to close down businesses yep. if they had PPP. Um, 
that that business fell into that category, so it got to stay afloat and because a lot of it was online. Yeah, like it was a blessing. So yeah, it was. It was my first. It was my first company as as like a CMO, and in the first year, we increased profitability by ninety eight percent and top line revenue I think by twenty three percent. Wow, just completely. Uh, one of the things I like about being a fractional CMO that I that I approach it as is. You know, I, I look at delegating everything but leadership. Like I want to look at it from as high perspective as possible and restructure the team, restructure the the budget and, and the forecast. And if you don't measure it, it doesn't get tracked and it's yeah. not it, – you know, if you don't measure it, it's almost not real. So you have to make everything about the business as real as possible. Um, so I've reduced tons of expenses that I think are wasteful that if you can't prove an ROI on something in a marketing initiative, you just don't pay for it. You just don't do it. Right. Yeah. It, it tends to be more digital, but yeah, I want to cut you off there. Go ahead. So many business owners lump sales and marketing together <laughs> as a department, and let's just get rid of that right now, right? Define the two, right? Uh, so th- yeah, I love that in defining of terms. So sales, I think, is more of a one-on-one, and I could define sales as getting someone to do something, or I could look at sales as uh, closing business. Marketing, I think, is selling. If you take that, selling one to many, mm-hmm. so you're selling to masses. I also look at marketing as the definition to make known. Mm-hmm. Branding, right? Branding Branding your brand. And I, I had a, I had a, a former colleague that defined marketing as getting people to want to do something. So if you get sales, you could get someone to do something, but if you have to almost, you know, a lot of buy decisions from consumer standpoint is emotional. If someone doesn't want to do something, good luck trying to get them to close. You're warming the leads. And if you can increase demand, you can print money. So that's a lot of my job as as a marketer, as a chief marketing officer, is how do we manipulate – not manipulate because it's a a word, but change the knobs and the dials of a business's dashboard in order to get the result that you can serve more customers and become more profitable really. Mm Um, I think the business that can spend the most for a, for a client is the most successful. And I want to expand upon that real quick. It's like mm-hmm. I want to create profit margins that people don't bulk at a larger marketing budget because that marketing budget more than pays for itself and we can prove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's always funny. We do, we do our own marketing. And it's always like how do you measure this? How are we measuring this? How are we measuring results, right? What's coming through the door? And, uh, you know, we got pretty good analytics now of who's hitting our clicks and how many impressions and who's clicking through to our website and how many appointments are being booked. And we're starting to just track all that stuff, which we never did before. I mean, we just did some marketing. Oh, we got to create a brand, create a brand. But we never had the metrics to measure the impact of that brand. What are the metrics you like to, to use to measure returns? I'm going to blame my philosophy degree for being as high level of a thinker. I start with strategy. The definition of that is that I tell my clients is taking infinite possibilities that look like opportunities and putting constraints on them with time and money and priority. So like I measure strategy first, right? Mm -hmm. So we will do like the first step with my clients as a fractional is I'll do what's called an asset audit questionnaire. And I'll see, okay, what is the current state of business? And give me some historicals. Give me like T12 
like what have you already done? What have you already invested and spent? Right. Like I want to see like what your brand equity kind of looks like today. Mm-hmm. And then I want to see where the value add is. Like, like who on your team has what strengths and capabilities? Like I, I audit like the team. I audit like the historicals, the branding. Of course, I want to look at their analytics and make sure, that, sure. Of course. But I look at from an overall stat strategy, like do they even have a strategy today? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. And if so, like let's qualify it. Is that strategy effective? Is it yeah, you know, is it working? And, and obviously, like subsets, what's working within it or what's not? Like, and then I always like to kill activities or discontinue activities that are not producing a trackable ROI or a positive ROI. Mm-hmm. And I also like to pour into our activities that are giving ROI. So every business, just like every business is different, every founder is different. It's like every brand has their own unique target audience. You have to uncover. We have to do some some due diligence probably first 30 days working together to figure out who is your actual ideal client profile. Yeah. Right. Like let's like, who's making you money. Let's dive down deep. And who is your, what are your three uniques? What are your three uniques that you're selling that differentiate you? And, and who's your target for those uniques? And, and honestly, I take EOS super seriously with marketing from a perspective. Oh, absolutely. Like I will do it. I will almost always do a, some form of an EOS implementation when I do as a CMO, because I will track the KPIs. Like what are the weekly activities? What's our scorecard? Like what are our rocks? What are we solving for? And then if we don't have a big, hairy, audacious goal, like what, like at the end of the year, how much do you want to make? Mm-hmm. Um, one example of a BHAG goal was we had, we had acquired this business and it had four point around $4 million in inventory. Right. Mm-hmm. We identified the half an in inventory. We didn't really want to keep reordering, you know, between me and my business partner, we're yeah. like, Hey, the 80-20 principle applies. Like 20% of the inventory is creating 80% of the of the money. So my goal was to, okay, let's sell off the inventory that we're going to discontinue. Um, right? So yeah. having, having that thought process, like a lot of businesses won't, won't start there just like, okay, go sell. Like yeah. some very broad general thing. It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Stop right approach. there. Yeah, the shotgun approach doesn't work. And then, you know, another example. So we did actually, instead of, taking a year to sell a million dollars of slow moving, we did it in uh, six months, sold a million one, right? Because we had clarity of mission. Yes. We had the priority, like this is the first thing that's that's not top priority. We put the resources of the team's attention and time towards it. We put our ingenuity, right? Because that's the great force multiplier mm-hmm. is getting, you know, h- human beings to have creative problem solving. We threw it towards that, you know, through different like, like uh, sales initiatives and ad campaigns and, you know, package like creating a, a product, the catalog for that, crush that goal, and then really once you have the pressure, I think the sales another way to define it is to relieve pressure for a buyer. Mm-hmm. Like, if if someone's a pushy salesperson, it oftentimes nowadays more or less um, pushes would be buyers away. Oh well, yeah, I mean, and that's maybe that was a shift to online buying, right? Yeah, you don't have a salesperson. Trying to make you buy something that moment, you can actually take your time, do a little research, no pressure. You know, my goal as a marketer is to educate you, right? Yeah, is to educate you so that you feel comfortable and confident in that decision. You know, for, whether that's an e-commerce or whether that's picking up the phone for a service. You know, really, the goal is the same. It's to it's to get that buyer over the action threshold to feel like this is. The that we understand their pain first, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not going to just be like a, 
you know, make a doctor analogy. I'm not just going to push a solution to everyone. I'm going to mm-hmm. diagnose and then prescribe. Yep. Yep. So. But I love the fact that you circle, let's find your uniques, right? Mm-hmm. And so many businesses never take the time to identify or, or create what makes them unique, right? You have to have differentiators to be successful in your market. Service is one, right? And it's always funny because when you look at, when I look at it and uh, you go through the businesses and you look at the valuation and how is valuation broken down, mm-hmm. equipment and the inventory you sell is worth what it is that day. Yep. Whatever that depreciated equipment is worth based on used equipment, that's what you're getting for it. Your inventory is what it costs to buy somewhere else through a wholesaler or distributor. The difference in the valuation is your service and your uniques is what drives the value, right? No, you're 100% right. And and really, it's the gap between what something is worth on paper, like the card cost. Yeah. Like the, the book value. Like versus the book the, value versus what you can turn that into. And that's where I think the magic of, magic of marketing correct. does value add because, like, for example, one aspect of, of one of our businesses mm-hmm. had, you know, of all of the portfolio, you know, after we acquired that business in June of 21, we then got to acquire seven more because once you do a deal, now people – like you're a real player. You're in the business of, of yeah. M&A, right? So your yeah. your first job as an M&A business is, is to be in the business and to do one. It became much, much easier. So um, one of our brands had an established Facebook page that had a certain amount of followers or, or like or people that liked it. And we noticed that this part of the business was just underperforming against competitors so hard. And we're like, why, why, why? And I really dug into it. I'm like, okay, they're spending $5 per week on advertising. I I went in. So I had a digital advertising background. This person was a a retail store manager. Didn't have the digital advertising background. It wasn't wasn't her gift. wasn't her passion. You know, liked liked the product, liked helping customers face-to-face, just couldn't get enough foot traffic. I took $500 in two weeks and did more in sales with that ad campaign than they did in the last nine months. Mm-hmm. Like why is that? It's because it's a force multiplier. I understood that if you just 100X'd the input of ad spend, changed the messaging, created uh, messaging for an ideal customer, like knew the customer through analytics and put enough money into it, like that message saw enough people that you know we did – three quarters worth of business in two weeks and show it like having that story, you know, you can repeat that across industries once you know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the model to do it is the same. Right. The question comes down is the uniqueness of the offering and the product you're offering. And then how do you reach to your point, which channel it's receiving your target markets which channels are, are most effective at reaching them? And I will and, say... And, and I look at it in our business, right? Uh, how do we reach the business owner from a business exiting standpoint? Yeah. Versus how do we reach our wealth client? Totally different targets. Right, totally different targets. So one of the things that, that, you're pointing, that we're pointing to when it comes to... Um, I'll make an analogy for finances, like for personal finances... To some degree, once you have a certain amount of net worth, you want to diversify. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. I think in order to get a business marketed to a certain degree, 
you have to diversify a little bit to identify which channel you want to commit to. But at that point, when you want to scale and grow a business, master a channel and master a target audience. And then that growth and that profit from mastering it far outweighs dabbling in every channel. Like, yeah. Because if you don't do what's required to be successful, then you're sort of just you're you know half measuring. Uh, you never get to the full benefit. You're just dissipating all your energy and your money. You're not going to get a return. And you're going to think none of these things work. But really, you're not doing what's required for to make any of them work. Yeah, the, the story you told me about getting rid of the old inventory, having focus. Uh, one of my clients sold to a privately held PE firm, very large. And they'll go in and buy privately held businesses. They end up getting rid of about 80% of their product lines and narrow it down to the top selling product lines, right? Uh, he was telling me the story, This the gentleman who went with the uh, private equity firm after he sold his company goes, you know, he walked into this company and they had this product and he sold it 40 different colors and this and that. And he goes, we went down to two colors. We got rid of all these other things. We cut inventory. People still bought it. Mm-hmm. They said, but the privately held business owners is trying to satisfy the shotgun approach. And what they're doing is creating undue expenses. And that's exactly what you were talking about a little earlier of having a focus, narrowing it down and being really good and then marketing it correctly, right? I want to say that some people love the product that their business or the service of their business. Like if you're a technician business owner, some people just really love, you know, all the colors. As a consumer, they would they would want to buy them so they think their customers want to want to buy them. But I love business. So I love serving my customers and, and doing what serves stakeholders and my customers. So I want to buy what they want me to buy, mm-hmm. that they want to buy. So making that – so stepping back and cutting off my own personal – um, desires from like a purchasing fulfillment service offering standpoint and listening to the market. I have two ears and one mouth. Like I'm mm-hmm. not going to force the market what I want. I'm going to conform and serve them the best that they on what their terms. What does the market want? Right? Yeah. What, what does the ultimate buyer want? Right. Right. And that's what it's all about. Uh, you're either going to create a need in their mind, but you do that by knowing what they want. Right. And it's really like it's like math. So there's a value equation. There's an influencer that I follow that's just really spot on with uh, Alex Ramos. Is his name, and he actually um, was in the sales marketing kind of uh, world and got into uh, private equity later. Mm-hmm. And the value equation is simply this: it's like dream outcome um, times perceived likelihood of achievement as the top of the fraction. Underneath that is like effort and sacrifice. So the less that you can, like the more you can remove their pain and like the time horizon also. So like the faster you can fulfill, the less of a hassle the customer has to go through, the less they need to do. And then the more likely you are to give them what they want, the more value you as a business create. So like don't don't like hassle your customers don't make them wait. Like respond right away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the customers basics. customers will put up with almost anything, but they won't put up with being ignored. 
So when I was also managing a sales team, because a lot of business owners, like you said, lump sales and marketing together, especially smaller ones. One of the things that I had my sales team do was just handwrite to their customers. Notes. Thanks for being a customer. And you know what? Client retention went through the roof. Average order size went went up. um, And we started getting more inbound calls. Why? Because they felt appreciated. It was simple. I mean, it's a relationship. You know, we had less total customers, but we made twenty three percent more revenue off of that one one asset. I'm talking about. Why is that? Because we just focused on the good customers that really liked us. We didn't chase every customer. We focused on our ideal client profile, and they grew, and they were better served. Correct. Correct. You know, I, 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 I say, don't try and make no a yes. Yeah, I am actually Go looking find for all no. the yeses. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Listen to the yeses, but I want someone to tell me no so I can move on. Like, like I, I, what I want is either a heck yes or a heck no. Like, I want to put somebody that's like enthusiastically, passionately wanting to do business with me because if it's like a tepid yes, like, okay, sure, maybe. But then I feel like I'm forcing you and it's not going to be – it's going to be too much effort to keep you as a customer. Like, I'm going to have to worry about churn. I'm going to worry about like you trying to haggle me over prices or or always asking for a discount. Like a really good customer is going to see the value in the service or product we're offering and be happy to pay full price and like stay with you for the long haul if they believe in the value. I mean companies really got to understand what they're selling. Yeah. And it goes back to you have an inventory, you may have equipment that makes things out of your inventory. But at the end of the day, what are you really selling? You may be selling a part that no one else sells in the world and the cost to get in, cost of capital to get in your space is prohibitive. But most companies are selling, to your point, quality service to be able to buy what they want with as little difficulty as possible. The, The value prop that I like to share when talking about my own business as a fractional CMO is that, you know, I will... For for less total money than hiring a W two CMO, I have the same type of experience. You can look at my resume. You can, you can call up you know people that I've worked with. Um, I'm going to charge you less. You, we I'll get started within a month of us talking. If you want me to get started, um, you know there will be. You don't have to worry about um, you know paying me by the hour. Like we're going to have. Like, I'm going to dictate the the projects and we're gonna we're gonna manage what that budget's gonna look like. We're gonna get all this stuff done in this ninety day initial ramp up period. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna get all the deliverables and you're not gonna have to stress out about having someone in house that's you know maybe they don't get along with the secretary or maybe you know there's office politics. Like, I'm gonna be working remotely. Like I'm I'm reducing all the pain points of what could be possibly like a a culture shift. And I'm inc- and I'm reducing the risk because I'm a contractor, but like I'm really just me focusing on what matters the most, right? Like, I'm not here to waste any time. Mm-hmm. We're here to get stuff done, and stuff that's proven to make an impact on the business. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make you think with a new, fresh set of eyes how to look at your business because, guess what? I'm like a partner to the owner, mm-hmm. right? Owners respect partners a lot differently than they would like, you know, hiring an employee, mm-hmm. whether it's intentional or unintentional. So I have the opportunity to give you feedback about your business that is is just objective. Yeah. Um. So that's another that's another value add. Um. I like to bring is offering myself as a partner to owners because a lot of times owners feel lonely. They maybe have tons of employees and tons of customers, but 
they don't ever get to have a soundboard to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And most owners are in love with building the thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you have an employee that their whole livelihood depends on having the owner like you, you oftentimes you may be surrounded by yes men. Mm-hmm. Right? And like I'm always looking for no. Like I, I'm looking for a, an owner. Um, like I'll give an idea and they'll, and they'll tell me no and, I'll, and they'll give me an idea and I'll tell them no. And that's when the magic happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the problem solving happens. Absolutely. I have a client who has been five years in the ba- in, in a certain business and uh, he's been recognized as the fastest growing in his industry in the yeah. country two years in a row. And he goes, you know, it's, it, I said, what are you doing different? I said, you know, your product's really good. He goes, there's a lot of good products just like ours. He goes, we know how to market. Exactly. It, right. it just comes down to marketing. It is. He says, you know, you got to have a good product to start. But you got to know how to reach the audience that's going to buy it. And that's what marketing is driving for, for customers, right? I, I had a customer, my very first customer that hired me had to be their fractional CMO when I went off on my own. Because I, I, you know, I was a fractional CMO of my own portfolio of companies, PE firm, but... As a service, you know, as a solopreneur, my first customer uh, was in the store. It was like a real estate investing storage unit space and ramping up. He's like, man, this is going a lot slower. I'm not getting the rentals I need. Like, mm. And I was like, okay, I am going to be much more expensive than the SEO company that, you're cur- that you are currently working with. He's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, sure. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to let you know, though, that we're going to get this done What's going to happen in 60 days would take the other company – they would never do the tasks. So the result just – you can't compare apples. It's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges here. It's mm-hmm. a totally different engagement. So what happened was in 60 days, I 2.5x the sales of that wow. business, right? And he was like, whoa, like my phone won't stop blowing up. And I'm like, okay, but here's the bill. And he's like, holy moly. But the thing is, it's like – it was a 20 to one return on ad spend, right? So like, yeah, we spent more money, but like we, you made 20, 20 to one return. Mm-hmm. And he told me that the industry average to ramp up to where we got to be when, I, when we stopped that, that sprint campaign, he said we 4.5 X the industry average. Wow. And I'm like, well, speed matters, right? Like there's a, a tax you pay every month when you're not at capacity for that mm-hmm. business. Yeah. So like speed really matters. And like you don't get that from like a marketing agency. Marketing agency, you pay to do a task. You pay me to solve a problem. I solve bigger problems as a fractional CMO. And I think it's important for business owners to have that scrappy um, like entrepreneurial spirit as like a counterpart marketing partner. I really approach marketing and business like a cage fight. Like you have to learn every aspect of, of fighting to defend yourself and stay alive because the point of a business is stay in business. Oh. You know? You have to be oh, able yeah. to like ruthlessly cut out what's not working and amplify what is working to get on to the next one and stay alive. So I really take it really take every like business that. owner takes punches. Oh, they have to. They take punches through their whole career of ups and downs in businesses depending on industry, what's going on in their industry, then overall economy. And then you got an an item like COVID happen, right? A situation (sighs) like COVID happen, where so many some businesses were positioned to thrive, and their business went through the roof because they were already doing digital and 
and online, and other businesses had to quickly figure it out. I had a, a client that was a veteran for, uh, he was in Fallujah. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, in gunfights, on roofs, not sleeping for three days, like onto his last clip in war, real war, life or death. He goes, this, the business I'm in right now is more terrifying and painful than being in that battle. I'd rather be back at war than being in, you know, small business right now. Oh, yeah. He's like, cause I feel alone and I feel like I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to do. At least there I can create like a strategy to survive because I don't even know what to do sometimes. So a lot of what I do from a mission standpoint is to help business owners that are so good at what they do to get the other bases covered, to like keep serving more people, have more impact and continue doing what you're good at and not have to worry about like the things that, you know, like getting new customers. Like if you didn't have to worry about getting new customers, how many of business owners problems would go away? Correct. Correct. So typically, is there any one, you know, of all the businesses you've worked with when you walked in, is there one specific thing that is very common challenge in every business? Yeah. Business owners are geniuses, but because they're so good at what they're good at, they have blind spots. Like they believe that they can do everything and anything. It's so hard for a business owner to, um, to change unless it's acted upon by an outside force. So like, they want to hire – they know something's wrong. They can't pinpoint what it is wrong. But if like everyone um, you know, can question their beliefs except for the ones they really want to believe in. Mm-hmm. So like if I tell a business owner like, hey, this campaign that you did, um, like it's not working. Mm-hmm. My job honestly is almost like a psychologist to be like, hey – it's not you personally. Like you're still you're still a genius. You're still really successful. Like you're yeah. you know what you're doing, but like this campaign here is not it, and it's actually hurting. That is always like the the main thing, and I think that's why people hire me is because like I have a lot of, you know, objective. I'm 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 uh, an empathetic confrontational person, mm-hmm. right? And that's a perfect way to be, right? Absolutely. You have to understand where they're at, what's going on, but then you have to confront them to make the change they need to make. Like, I will, I will give you a hug, but I was also a wrestler, so like we're still we're solving this problem, <laughs> you know. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and your engagements then. So when you engage with a client, are you there permanently as a chief marketing officer? Or are you? Are you? Do you ever like? get things in order and then move on. How, 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 what do those engagements look like? So I, I really want to offer my services as long as they feel like they need me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've done, I've been with clients for, you know, full time, you know, in, in like as long, long as we want yeah. to be, you know, for three, four years have, have done, you know, I, I've also done half day consults. So I offer, Based on my time, right? So I'll offer a half-day consult, which will take like a two-week turnaround where I'll, I'll do my due diligence, research, put together my findings, and then take four hours, just a half-day, and meet with your team and be like, all right, you know, here is where you're at. Here's where you've been from outside looking in. We're going to have this discussion. Here's my thoughts on what the plan would be. Does this sound good? And we'll create a marketing strategy for the next 90, 180, 360 days. 
you know, mm-hmm. to really just diagnose the problem and make a prescription. First make diagnose the problem. Yes. Then implement the solutions. Yes. And if they want to implement it themselves with their own resources, that's fine. If they want to hire me to be um, an engaged fractional CMO, I require at least 90 days. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're not going to get any real meaningful work done without 90 days. Yeah. Um, I think the sweet spot is a 12-month thing because – because. I think that if we saw through a whole calendar, whole fiscal year, that that employer um, would see a, a lot of the fruition of campaigns from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to hire me after that, that's totally it's totally fine. But mm-hmm. I always like to do you know at least a half day consult, and then I also offer advisory after that. Like if let's say I'm engaged for a whole year. You can hire me to be an advisor. Where I'll, you know, you can email me. We'll do two phone calls a month. You know, yep. it's, it's less of my time, less cost. Yep. Um, it turns out being drastically reduced. But I would think being part of like just someone's general counsel. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be on retainer. Yeah. Um, and as a fractional CMO, like, oftentimes business owners don't know who they need to hire or what projects they need to do. So like, it starts at the top, and and I have. A, this network of, of other technicians that do marketing. So if they need an SEO person, I can hire that. You need a copywriter, you need a social media, you need a website designer. If you need any specific tasks done, mm-hmm. I can call someone up to help you get that completed. No problem. But a you lot know, of agencies I'm glad you brought that up that. because I see, oftentimes <laughs> I see too many, they hold themselves out as a marketing company and advertising company, call what you may. And they say they can do website. They say they can do social. They say they can do digital. And they end up being good at maybe one out of four things they're trying to deliver. And it ends up being a very disappointing. I've seen some of my clients go through it. It ends up being a very, and at least a bad taste in their mouth then about marketing organizations, right? They told me they were going to build my website and they could do all this other stuff and social media stuff. So to hear you say that this is what I do, I, and yeah. then I have all the other technicians who are really good in their disciplines, yeah, that you're going to bring in, that you're not the end all be all of a marketing genius. You are the top line, big strategy thinker, getting the org- organization on the right path, and then you'll bring in the other key people that are going to. I, I've I've been be I've seen behind the curtain of marketing agencies and I've, I've operated and I've, I've helped train people to do the work. <laughs> I have done the work and I can do the work. I'm just not serving my client the best way if I'm the one trying to do their copywriting or their ad campaign. And it's not a good use of my time either. No. Right? So at the end of the day, like a lot of digital marketing agencies, one of the trends I've seen from the dot-com bubble like late 90s till now those owners that are privately held digital marketing agencies, they t- were the shop in the early 2000s that at the time they were good enough at all those things. They were profitable service offerings mm-hmm. and they would offer at a price point where you know to get some results in, on Google, you only needed to put a couple hours a month in and it was well worth it at the time. But the reality of how things are changing, especially with AI, is like you need to be like – investing above and beyond like the the actual this is something that i get heated on with linkedin and i can i'll be happy to debate with anybody like i wouldn't trust an seo personally in my opinion 
wouldn't trust an SEO agency if they were offering SEO for like $300 a month. Mm. Because I would question what are you going to be, what are you going to task will you be able to do every month in order to justify that cost? Like that's why I look at doing digital marketing as a per project, like strategic basis. Like, okay, yeah, we need to do blogging for this amount of time or we need to rewrite the website or we need to do like a, a technical cleanup. Like, there are specific tasks. Don't just sell me blanket SEO. Like I don't want to, to make my clients feel like it's the Wizard of Oz and there's like this magic behind the curtain. Like I'm my job is to take back the curtain and help you make informed decisions. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I pride myself on doing. And I feel like I have um, as a marketing assault in the past, I have done like the SEO and the social and all the things mm-hmm. in the past. But I haven't had as like as uh, deep of connections with my clients as I do now. Mm-hmm. I have very close connections. Like some of my connections went to, you know, a family member of mine's funeral. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I would invite them to my wedding. Like I want to have a good connection with them. I don't want to just be another competitor in like a red ocean mm-hmm. where everyone's fighting over like the cheapest bid to yep. do a task. Yep. You know, I'm trying to provide the most value um, and managing people so that they do what they say they're going to do and yep. holding other people accountable for that. Yeah, because. you're going to help that team. Yeah. You're going to help implement, clean up the strategy. Look yeah. where they've been. This is the strategy going forward. And I'm going to help your team implement it if you want me to. And realistically, I've seen companies take two years to launch a website because they had no one internally managing the web design company. So even if you just want to hire me to manage your web design company, trust me, I've I've launched hundreds of websites I can manage that process for you. Oh, and we've we did a website and we redid it three years later, mm-hmm. uh, and it is a task. Mm-hmm. It is a task internally. The amount of hours we spent with our marketing company yep. to redo a website—it's a lot of work—and just staying on top of them and staying on top of us to get them the stuff they need. It's it's a lift. It's a big lift. Well, hey. This was awesome. Any other final thoughts for the listeners? So first of all, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, J. Ross Stockdale. Um, I have the same picture on all my profiles, so you know it's me. My podcast is called The Thunderstock Show. My website is thunderstockmarketing.com. I'm on all the socials. Uh, If you want to send me an email, it's fine, j.ross.stockdale at gmail.com. I am my my own business, so, you know, Please reach out. I love helping small business owners, making their uh, their businesses more profitable quickly, and, and really helping them to make their businesses more valuable. So that you know, when you work with people like Ed, you have a you know a more profitable business that has has a, um, predictable growth. Yep, yep, predictable growth. Well, hey, this was great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, you're definitely a you know, as I talk about the business planning or the business exit planning, we always talk about business readiness. And when we go through business readiness, it's always like, do you have the key people, the right people in the right seats? Or have you surrounded yourself with the right advisors to get everything optimized to create the value you need to extract from your business on the exit? Marketing is definitely one of them. So thanks for being with us. Thank you, everybody, for listening.